Hello, humble listeners. Thanks for tuning back in as we pull back the curtain on what life is like on the backside of performance. I'm Erin Cafaro, two-time Olympic gold medalist. And I'm Kristen Harold's daughter, former collegiate rower and PhD in exercise physiology. On Humboldt, we interview a former athlete or professional in the athletic world. And instead of talking about their tips and tricks to getting to the top of the podium, we have an honest conversation about what it was like to leave their sport, start the next challenge, and how their experience as a competitive athlete has shaped their life beyond sport. This episode of Humboldt is supported by the Sonoma Women's Triathlon, a women's-focused try that runs on July 13th in Healdsburg, California. Now, I know that's really soon, but if you're anywhere in the area, do check it out. It sounds really awesome. Whether you're a first-timer, an elite, or something in between, the Sonoma Women's Try has a great experience on tap for you. Go to sonomatriathlon.com and register with the code HUMBLED to get 10% off your entrance fee. The Sonoma Women's Try is a Siberian unicorn event, which is really worth Googling also because Siberian unicorn is just cool to say, interesting to think about. Again, that is the Sonoma Women's Triathlon supported this episode. We are so grateful to them. So go to sonomatriathlon.com and get some money off when you enter the code HUMBLED. Today on Humbled, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing Humbled co-host Kristen Harold's daughter. Yeah, that's me. So for those of you that might not know the badassery background of Kristen, she is a NCAA champion in rowing, a Division I coach turned doctor of exercise physiology. I am super excited to share Kristen's story because I think it will resonate with a greater majority of people's experience with sport. Not like winning NCAAs or getting your PhD is a normal thing, but Kristen walked away from her sport in college. We've talked to mostly elite or professional athletes so far, and Kristen has a more relatable perspective. Not only as a collegiate athlete who was searching for that deeper sense of meaning and belonging that sport so often gives us, but also as a collegiate coach and seeing the transition from the other side of the line. So please enjoy this wonderful conversation in getting to know the woman behind the voice on Humboldt, Dr. Kristen Harold's daughter. Kristen, um, right after you graduated in um, 2008. That's right. You did not want to continue rowing, but that wasn't even an option for you because you were not a U.S. citizen. You were an Icelandic citizen, and there was no such thing as rowing in Iceland. Right. I would have, I, it, the thought crossed my mind to try to form a one person national team, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of questions to answer and hurdles to, uh, go over in order to make that a reality. So I never even like really started the process at all. Yeah. And beyond that, rowing in the single by yourself I did. I actually don't know if you know this. I did pretty well at one of the speed orders. Nice. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. I never did well at the speed orders, especially in the single. I beat a few Olympians. I bet you did. It it was a speed order. You know, the one where you have to turn 
Yeah, yeah. yeah so like for out and back. yeah, for in rowing, speed orders are like the longer because you, you know you basically send athletes off one by one with like thirty second centers or so. And for in the fall, it's like six five to six k. It's a mess, and you have to do a turn in the middle, yeah. and you like practice this turn, and you like yeah. pretend like you're like a race car driver, and yeah. you really aren't because you're going like one mile an hour. <laughs> um, oh, true. But yeah, it's it's sad but true. Yeah. Um, but anyhow, that's interesting. I did not know that. Yeah, I had a boat. I had two boats, actually, out at Princeton. Um, not at the same time. My boat was uh, stolen once and flew off the roof of a car. Oh. So then my insurance got me another boat. There you go. And then I sold that so that I could live in New York City and pay for my first apartment. Nice. And have yeah. you been in a boat since? Yeah, I've raced the head of the Charles um, with like an alumni boat, but do not get me confused with the young women who actually do really well at the Charles. I am not invited to race in those boats. What does that even mean? It's like, Is there like an A boat and a B boat for Princeton? There are now fast alumni who like to enter an alumni eight at the Charles. If any of you are listening, I'm not mad about it, but I did notice that I was not invited. <laughs> or did you say no too many times? No, I said yes. I always oh, said okay. Yeah. Yeah. okay. But I was in one of the slowest alumni boats ever a few years yeah. ago. Oh. So I think we were all oh, just like blacklisted. It just, it just hurts. It, well, it just, you know, going slow pleasant. in a boat just hurts. And yeah, Kristen has, uh, again, been good friends with a lot of people on the team um, and was a coach at Princeton University, um, where the U.S. national team uh, for once upon a time, the, the men and definitely still the women train out of. Up until the 2012 Olympics. Yeah. That was there. Yeah. And so she saw a lot of, and was support for a lot of the girls on the team of the buildup into the Olympics. Um, a lot of the like, you know, missed ventures of going to the Olympics and also doing her own transition. I just, and, just one story that stands out is, um, and, and I, I've told you this before, but in 2012, a very close friend of mine um, was seat racing, which is the rowing uh, method of doing cuts for yeah. boats, essentially. Yeah. Um, it was the last day of selection for the Olympic, one of the Olympic boats. And I knew she was seat racing. So I was sitting upstairs in what's called uh, the Sykes room. It's like this uh, um, three of the walls are just windows looking out at the dock. Um, and I knew she was out seat racing and I've obviously didn't know I, it was the difference between her going and her not going to right. the Olympics. Right. And I sat up there absolutely just so anxious and I saw them come in. I saw them take the boat out of the water. I saw them put it away. And then I saw her about a minute or two later walk past me holding her oars Walked out to her car, put the oars in the car, and drove away. And it's wow. like, that's you, you knew what that meant. Yeah. Putting the oars in the car. Yeah, she didn't stay Yeah, for like a shower mm -hmm. or a team debrief or anything. It was, that was like the beginning of the end for me of, of really feeling good about 
what I was participating in. So can we rewind a little bit? Like, and I think I just brushed over it, but like you had, despite all of your humility, you had the potential to row on a national team. Maybe. Uh, yeah. Okay. So maybe. Well, we'll just. I'm, I'm just going to put that out there because uh, you know you were. I was a good athlete. Yeah, you were. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for accepting that <laughs> compliment. Um, Ten years ago. So, why didn't you want to continue rowing beyond college? You know, I knew so many women and men who it was never a question to them that they would keep going. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it was it was not something that came immediately to me. Um, I'm very and I'm an instinct driven person. Mm-hmm. Everything I do, for better or for worse, is b- based on instinct. Um, I make very few conscious decisions. I would argue, mm-hmm. as a 33 year old woman, I'm not proud of that, and I can't really tell you why I didn't, because it wasn't some sort of thing that I like made a pro con list about. It wasn't something where I like mapped out my options besides doing a quick Google search if Iceland had a national team. Um, it just did, it didn't come to me. Hmm. It didn't occur to me to really fight for that. Um, I felt it was time for me to move on because I, I was really burnt out. Um, We saw a lot of glory in 06, but I was a sophomore in 2006. Mm. And my coach pulled me aside um, after that race and said, this feels really great right now, but next year you're going to have to come back and it's going to be 10 times harder Mm. because you're not going to have these, many of these women. Mm -hmm. And uh, she was so right. My junior and senior year were not easy. um, And it was, it was a lot. It was, it was a lot. It was, um, I don't take anything lightly, really. Um, I take everything personally and I, it was really, uh, um, I got really caught up in failure. Hmm. So that was not, that was really hard for me mentally. I didn't, I knew it at the time, but you know, you don't really, you don't really process it when you're that young or you're in the middle of it, right? Yeah, so I, I think it didn't occur to me because I just, yeah. I, yeah, you can kind of see now why that maybe unconscious decision happened, right? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, why would you, as an instinct-driven person, pursue something that's not bringing you joy? What got you into rowing? Between 8th and ninth grade, and at least in Minnesota, it goes middle school, high school. And this is an awkward time in life because you're right. like 14 and you have no idea what the hell is going on anyway. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, you've got braces and you think overalls are cool and you're like just trying to have friends. Yeah. And um, so I, my parents, we moved. Um, so not only was I um, moving from like cities, but I was entering high school, which is like bar none, the scariest place in the world. Yeah. And so agreed. Yeah. It's like really rough. So, um, I go to high school as the new kid and in Rochester, Minnesota, and I hated it. I, I was, I, I was so unhappy. So 
somehow, I convinced my parents that I needed to go to boarding school in Iceland. And they said yes. Um, and I was supposed to fly out September 11th, 2001 to go to, uh, wow. to school in Iceland. That's pretty gnarly. And so that flight was delayed. Um, but I made it out there. Um, it's just kind of a weird part of the story. Like it hasn't, you know. Well, uh, obviously nothing. it's memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite like, memorable. Where were you that day? Yeah. Well, I, I, I know where I was. Um, and uh, so then I went to Iceland. I was supposed to be there for four years, but I got really homesick. And so I came back and... Um, for and your senior year, if I had this Between correctly. my freshman and sophomore year. Oh, sophomore. Okay. Uh, yeah. Okay. A and I, I come back in my... Um, no, between my sophomore and junior year. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, I didn't know anyone in Rochester, Minnesota. I didn't know... I, I really had no friends, um, but I had neighbors. And our neighbors, I think, were over for dinner or something. And they're very outgoing. Um, my friend Lily, who's now a very, very, very dear friend... Um, her mother, Francine, was down at the house, and Lily was a coxswain for hmm. the local rowing team. And practices at the Rochester Rowing Club were 5.30 in the morning. Mm -hmm. And Francine is not a morning person. And um, she knew I needed friends, and she was like, Kristen, why don't you drive Lily? Anyway, long story short, I drove a coxswain to practice. I was identified. It's also the um, – I met Adam that day. Oh. At he was wearing cut-off jean shorts, Tevas, and a tie-dye t-shirt. Yeah, he was. And who was Adam? <laughs> um, he is my life partner. Did he row in those jean shorts? Yeah, the first day, yeah. Actually, he would show up and, yeah. He was one of the, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's an artist type. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't know, like, you know, it's one of those stories, right, where they put me on an erg and I, I just knew how to do it. And, um, you're one of those, you're the freaks. Yeah. Well, I just, you know, I don't know. It made sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, I can pick things up off the floor, which makes me a, a reasonable rower. Yeah. And, and I think people from Iceland have freakish <laughs> genes. No, I'm not even kidding. Like I, because, you know, with the little I dabbled in the CrossFit world and one of my favorite sports to watch on TV is strongman competitions. Oh yeah. And so you guys just clean up on yeah. both. Like, mm -hmm. and so it I- It is weird. It, it's, yeah. But I'm not five foot two or whatever those girls are. I like no, to think but I'm you, five foot 10. But that neither, the, the strong, the strong men are big, Big dudes. Yeah, they are big. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's, yeah, there's something yeah. in, in the water there. Yeah. I've, so. got, I've got theories, but they're all like centric on myself and, and a little self-deprecating. Yeah. Yeah. But it, so you stuck with it though. You stuck with rowing. I mean, basically I think that's the, you know, a lot of people can walk in the door and just be like, oh, okay, like this is, you know, something that's fine. I'll, I'll try it out. But you stayed with it. Yeah. I was definitely not, um, meant to go to Princeton. Um, that was never, when I looked at my future back then, I wanted to be an artist. I wanted to be an artist who would go to the college of the Atlantic. I wanted to have a sailboat. I wanted to live as far away from normal people, whatever that meant to me and my emo high school self <laughs> and just like live off of my, my mind and my ability. Um, 
but I had the good fortune of having a coach who had gone to Princeton. And his classmate from Princeton was the assistant coach, and now Levash Bordeaux, who's the head coach at Dartmouth now. And um, she actually came out to Rochester um, to watch me row on Silver Lake. It's like the craziest thing. Then we went to breakfast, and then, you know, the rest is history, right? Um, But that was definitely not the plan. I applied to one school. Mm Mm-hmm. I did not have a backup plan. I was I was kind of hoping I'd, I wouldn't get in. I yeah. do this a lot. I, I try out for things, and I kind of hope it doesn't work out. And it's probably just one of those weird mechanisms you have. But it worked out. But it was the universe saying, like, oh, you want to play that game? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it really, yeah. truly, like, changed the course of my life. Um, a lot of people close to me, their lives. It's, you know, it's one of those, like, butterfly effects. Yeah. So you, so if I get if I understood this right, you stuck with rowing because you had a support system that, that basically made, you know, this road for you ahead. Um, I would say that's a very poetic way to put it, but, uh, I would say I stuck with rowing because I never, it never occurred to me not to, Mm -hmm. I did not overthink it. Yeah. In high school, it became my, my junior and senior year, it became my, my network. It, it, it also became my everything. I was obsessed with it. Oh, I had morning okay. practice at 530. And then I would um, either go to an afternoon practice or I would go and erg mm-hmm. because I was told what erg score I needed to get mm-hmm. um, to be recruited. And then I did it. Wow. Um I would do it alone. I would do it listening to the postal service at the YMCA. I would do it listening to Roiksop or just whatever. Sometimes people would come along for the ride and erg with me. Um, but I, I, Wendy told me I, I had to go under 710, so I did. Um, so you decided not to row beyond, um, and I do want to get back to your coaching career. Yeah. But so you decided you didn't want to row beyond college, um, you know, and then you went on, you coached, which we'll come back to, but you also went into your, you decided you wanted to go get a master's. Yeah. And, and what did Carolina have to do with that? Um, so she, that, oh, good memory. Um, so Carolina was injury prone and um, had, this is kind of a complicated story, but anyway, she was misdiagnosed with a pretty serious illness um, and it's called ankylosing spondylitis. Misdiagnosed, this is important to note at, <laughs> up front because she does not have it. Um, but she was uh, misdiagnosed and mistreated for uh, a long time. And one of the, you know, while, while this was all happening, I got very inspired to, because it's a, it's a very dang, serious um, mm-hmm. condition. So um, I wanted to go and become a researcher and figure out um, how to help her or like... Uh, I don't know, not cure her, but, you know, like figure, get, dive in and, and learn more about it. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, she, uh, 
somebody found out that she didn't have it, but Mm -hmm. not before she had been on very, very strong drugs um, for a long time that now make her immune suppressed and stuff. But she's, I mean, you know. Yeah. So to me from the outside, and this might not be how you view it, but it seems to me that your transitions throughout life have, have been not like a struggle of a a decision. It was just you, you're like, you know, either the, the path is set out for you or you make a decision and you go. There's not much like mulling over the decision. Yeah. I don't look over my shoulder very much. Yeah. Um, I've never seen it a point. Uh, it's very counterproductive to look back and consider, you know, what ifs. Um, I'm really, as you've seen, I just make decisions very fast. I move really yes. fast on which, things, which I admire because I think I'm the opposite. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't think I. I yeah, we we are quite opposite of that, and I I really admire your ability to make decisions and also be able to access this like intuition or your, your gut feeling. Cause you know, part of me thinks that like m- potentially the reason why I've been struggling with transition so much is because I mull over these decisions. Um, and as you know, I'm starting to understand that does not prevent you. Like everybody has, uh, their, their suffering and transitions. Oh. Um, so I guess, tell me more about, like, so you don't have trouble making your decision going, not being on the national team to coaching. Um, well, so or that coach- was a hard time. Okay. That was a really hard time. Um, it's a nice, it's a very nice and clean story to think Kristen graduated and then she coached. She turned around and coached, but that is not, that's not... Um, I wish. I mean, it sounds like a perfect evolution of it. That was one of the, um, I had a, you know, a lot of people love their 20s. Mm-hmm. A lot of people like look back on their 20s as their best decade. And I could not be more relieved the day I turned 30. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Because um, nice. that was like, it was really, it uh, it was really hard. It nearly broke me many times. Um, so I graduated, and the the night before the graduation ceremony, Adam, my best friend and my partner, um, in the middle of the night, broke his back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he spent uh, the night and the day of my graduation in the Trenton Trauma Unit waiting to get picked up by... Um, medevac flight, which I rode back with him. Um, and my, my roommate and her family packed up my dorm room. Um, and that, that changed the course of my life in a way that I'll never know. So Um, what, what were you going to do? What were you planning on doing? I had a job with a, an Icelandic pharmaceutical. You're going to live in Iceland? No, it was actually in New York city because Adam had, um, he was, uh, going to be a junior in college and he had, um, transferred, he'd gotten into NYU. Mm-hmm. So we were going to be there together. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and finish up his college. And I just, I needed a job and I was happy. Like I was happy mm-hmm. with that. Mm-hmm. I was, I just wanted a job. I wanted to make money. I wanted to move on. Mm-hmm. And, um, we ended up spending the summer in, um, in Rochester, Minnesota, um, getting him back on his feet. I lost my job. And so I worked at a restaurant as a hostess. Um, I did all sorts of odd jobs that summer. And then we moved to New York. I sold my boat so that Mm -hmm. I could um, pay our rent. And um, I was like, well, what am I good at? I'm good at exercising. Um, So I became a personal trainer. I took the, I look at, I took a National Academy of Sports Medicine exam, um, read the book cover to cover in like a day, and I just, I passed it because you're just like this, I was still holding on to like my student skills. And um, I did that. I would work, I would get up at four in the morning, um, come home at like 11 or 12 at night and get really depressed in the middle of the day. <laughs> and... Um, and, and that was a year of my life. Um, Lori, the head coach, uh, at Princeton, um, at some point I found out that the second assistant job opened up and she said, I should come down and apply for it. Um, so I did and I got it. And then I moved back to Princeton, which, um, was a, w- was a wonderful experience don't want to take anything away from that, but I, I, I was not, it was not a step. It was not a, a step of progress for me. Mm-hmm. That was a step backwards for sure. Um, and not by anyone's fault, but my own, but I, I just had this, all this stuff that was unresolved that I it was exacerbated by just my surroundings being back down there. That's when I was living, uh, I guess I ended, I was really close with a few of the girls on the national team. And that is just like, it's such a grind and it's such like an emotional roller coaster, and you get so invested in other people's it's it's such like either you're doing well or you're not. Oh my gosh. I think coaching is probably the hardest profession out there because you you kind of you have the skills and you understand what they can and you have the perspective of like being on top and bird's eye view and seeing what can be done, but you can't do anything physically. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You have to use your words and listen and guide. Um, So, yeah, no, I I don't think being a coach by any means um, or even a friend of someone who has the, you know, some some know-how in the sport is an easy place to be. To progress the story a little bit for everybody, like you decided you wanted to keep coaching, but not at Princeton. So then you you got an opportunity at Wisconsin. Yeah, it was very much time for me to leave Princeton uh, for a few reasons. First, I was lighting my life on fire, so that was not great. Yeah. And second, I needed to, well, so to the first point, I needed to get myself out, mm-hmm. just like physically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was, that. I knew that, I knew that. Yeah. Um, I also knew that I liked coaching. Um, I think I felt that I was good at it, um, and it felt comfortable, 
but I also did, I, I felt like I was doing the athletes a disservice because I was really just coaching the way I had been coached because I was told to and because right. it worked. But it really like, I think I'm, there was just this part of me that was like, this doesn't feel right. You know, I've got, I had, I had athletes who were suicidal and had eating disorders and were having these getting injuries and just these heartbreaking scenarios that I was like, obviously doing my best in each individual case and taking the time um, to have these conversations, but really not based on anything other than empathy and intuition. Mm -hmm. And, um, especially when it came to the injury side, I was like, man, like I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like I can tell you to go harder. I can tell you to go longer, but I don't know when, I don't know why, I don't know what's too hard. I don't, you know, so, um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to, I wanted to go get a degree in, um, exercise physiology. So I looked around I found two programs, uh, nearly went to UT Austin. That's a long story in and of itself. Didn't go. Um, ended up at University of Wisconsin. Um, and what was supposed to be a two-year master's uh, turned into a master's and a PhD in six years. Oh, funny how those just, you know, <laughs> you just get a PhD out of the back of your pocket. And you just described to me the process of getting a PhD, which yeah. does not sound like a... I don't know. Like okay, that does not sound like a, a normal rash decision. <laughs> well, but you it, know, it's like everything else that we do, right? If you had known in um, two thousand and seven, was that when you joined the national team? Six, yeah. In two thousand six, yeah. when you, you know, when you had joined the national team then, and you knew what it was going to take to get to two Olympics, would you really have felt awesome about it? Like thinking about it that way, right? You well, you can't even fathom it. No, you can't fathom it. No, you, ha- you have to. You have to break it down. Exactly. It's like it's like any difficult thing. We would never get anything done if we thought about how hard the whole thing's going to be. Yeah, which it, I think is an interesting segue into this transition conversation that we're having, and you know, potentially a connection of. Are we, are we trying to, are we looking at the bigger picture too much? Like, how do we break this down more for it to be more feasible um, within the transition so that we can move again, you know? And, and um, in your experience, you know, in transition from, um, you know, you've had multiple transitions as, as an athlete to a coach to... Um, a doctor um, <laughs> in, in physiology. It's a really good story to say that I went to grad school to like help to be a better coach or understand the athletes better. But if I'm, I think there's some truth in that. But when I was coaching, I still felt like I enjoyed the coaching. I was not happy. I mm-hmm. was very self-destructive. Um, and that started pretty much right away after I graduated. 
and stopped rowing, I stopped identifying as an athlete or did I stop identifying as an athlete? I, I, ne- I was never sure, you know, mm-hmm. I was never sure what I was. And I missed being known for something. I missed being really good at something and having people recognize me for that. And that's, that's a hard thing I think to admit to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was like, man, I need, I need to do, I need to do something like, I need to do something not- notable again. Yeah. I appreciate your honesty on that. Cause I don't think, <laughs> well, I don't think many people, like, even if they feel that w- would be able to say it out loud, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think when you go, when you get good at something, it, it's hard. Like you, you do, it is enjoyable to, you know, have people tell you like, nice job. Yeah. You know? Um, and when it's not there, if you never had it, then you don't miss it. Right. right. But when you've had it, then, then it, there is something to be missed. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny. Cause even now, um, so I've run five marathons, um, and I'm not exactly sure what that's about, but I have now, you've seen this over and over again, I run in the other direction if I am about to be evaluated for my athletic ability or Mm -hmm. sense that I'm going to be. I find that interesting because knowing, from my perspective, knowing you, you seek challenge. Yeah. You seek challenge, but you don't want to be evaluated by it. That's absolutely right. Unless I know the evaluation is going to come out well. But there's so many things that you've entered into, such as races and PhDs, you don't know. So do you just turn off a piece of you and not think about that? I think when I am my be- when I'm my competition, mm-hmm. I have no problem because I can compete with myself better than anyone. But if I'm going to be competing against someone else, the stakes are just too high for me emotionally, I mm-hmm. think. What's going to kind of give you some, some peace to feel like you're not still in transition? I've thought a lot about this, and it's, it's the wildest thing. Um, you, you got my number. You called me when I was at Yale doing a postdoc, mm-hmm. pursuing yet another fancy thing. And I went home and cried every day. Mm. And then you and I started talking on the phone about a, a very early stage concept of doing exactly this, that um, after just two, three conversations with you, and just talking about this whole thing and starting to look into it, I quit my job. Hmm. That's not a coincidence. Your parents are going to hate me. No, my. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I think no, but I, I, I actually. Adjusting. Yeah. It's, it's an adjustment for everyone. For I actually, somebody to wake up. Yeah. I'm, I'm like flattered beyond belief. I mean, just that I. That that happened. Um, well, I mean, I know you didn't do it for any reason, but you know, 
yourself. Yeah. But, but you I, asked I'm, me about the transition and when will I feel like I'm I'm past it or it was like that was the when you're essence. out of transition. Yeah. When I'm out of transition and honestly that I mean part of the I'm my own I'm my N of one. I'm my own study. I think I think that the simple knowing that others are out there feeling the same way wakes you up a bit. It made me wonder how long I'd been holding myself back because I was holding on to the past. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, since, since I quit that job, I, you know, it's, it's a, it's remarkable. It'll be interesting to see where I'm at in a year, but the things that have happened since I quit that job and actually took some responsibility for my emotions and stopped just being a passive participant in my life. Um, and, and um, chasing some sort of glory, amazing things have happened. Mm-hmm. Adam and I decided to get married. Hmm. Um, I decided to move to Brooklyn finally. I started a business with you. Mm-hmm. I am now working as like a freelance consultant for a company making money. I don't have to go to work every day. You can hang out with monkey more. It like, seriously though, like this is, Mm. it's like only good things have happened and it's not a coincidence. Mm -hmm. Not, we're so much smarter than we think we are. And just once your brain realizes that you could set yourself free, it's pretty cool. This may be one of my favorite episodes. Obviously, I'm a bit partial, but there are so many good realizations and connections you made during that episode, Kristen. You know, that interview and this whole experience of creating this, The Humbled Podcast, has been really transformative for me. I feel like in a way that I've processed actually already a lot of my baggage from my transition from rowing, even though it was quite a while ago, while having these conversations with you and with other athletes and professionals, just getting the opportunity to talk it out has been amazing. Totally. I know it is scary being vulnerable, but one of the unintentional benefits we found about doing this show is how helpful the cathartic process is for athletes to tell their story about walking down the mountain that they typically don't share or think people want to hear about. So... If you want to stalk Kristen, you can find her on the Instas at K Harold's Daughter, which is spelled out on our website, www.humboldpodcast.com. And please, if you like the show, tell your friends about it. Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a review. If you like this content, please go ahead and go to humboldpodcast.com slash donate. And give us some love. And thank you, as always, to the fabulous Corey Schreppel, who edited this episode. And thank you for tuning in. <laughs>